Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I would like to talk this morning about households and whole households. Um, and the reason for that is for a number of months, we've God's been talking to us as a church and, uh, you know, for me personally as well, about the importance and the significance of our, of our families and our households. Um, and that, you know, the Bible describes the church as the household of faith. But that household of faith is made up of multiple households of families that are, are represented here in this room this morning, maybe partially, maybe completely. But if you're here today and you're part of a household, then God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for my family. And, and God loves families. He's passionate about families. And um, I, I actually shared a similar message to this back in Stony Stanton on Father's Day. And, um, and it wasn't because it was Father's Day, it was because... I believe this is what God is saying to us. And that's why I'm sharing it here um, this morning as well. And I have bring some, some different things out. But one thing I do have to do are my dad jokes, just to start. Yeah, you'll be using them, Woody. Okay, are you ready? So I was walking down the street the other day, and this guy walked up to me, never met him before, and he offered me a whole bathroom set, shower, sink, uh, toilet, and a bath. But I said no because my mother always told me never accept sweets from strangers. <laughs> okay, all right. That's what... I went to the shop the other day to get eight cans of Sprite. When I got home, I realized I only picked seven up. <laughs> I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. Uh, this morning, my son... Uh, came up to me and he said, can I have a bookmark? And I just broke down in tears. 11 years old, and he still doesn't know my name's Richard. <laughs> bookmark? No? Okay. All right. Here we go. This is a good one. An apple tart in Barbados is £1.50, St. Lucia £1.75, and in Jamaica, £2.38. Those are the pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> okay. I told you these are dad jokes. Okay, let me see if I can do better. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I'm 80. <laughs> if a child refuses to sleep during nap time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? <laughs> okay, tough crowd. Any more? No, I'm going to leave her there, actually. Those were the... One more? <sighs> did you know the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. There you go. That's it. I'm done. But I do love being a dad, not just because I have permission to tell really bad jokes to small and large groups of people, but there's a privilege in, in being a father. There's a privilege in being a parent and being a mother. And, and, um, and I, I, a part of that is because God is, as I've already said, so passionate about families and about households. And whether you read about households in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is beith, and in the New Testament, it's oikos. It's not a, a yogurt, as you might think. But oikos is the same thing. It just literally means the physical house that people live in or the household that live within that house. It speaks of family. And families come time and again. When we were reading through the book of Joshua, households, it starts with a household. It starts with Rahab's household. This, this lady stands up and she saves her family because of her faith. And at the end of the book of Joshua, a faithful man stands up. Joshua stands up, and in Joshua 24, 15, it's like his final parting speech to the nation. He says, as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Amen. That's right. And there's this wonderful statement. He's saying, 
I'm, I'm just telling you how it is. And I'm going to leave that with you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve Yahweh. We're going to follow him. We're going to worship him. Our home, our family will honor him. And um, I think when we, when we look back at the Old Testament and we look at, even at the New Testament, ancient Middle Eastern views and, and um, the values of family were very different then than they are now. I believe we still value family today, but there's been a big shift away. You know, families now are much more fragmented physically. We move away from our family home, whereas in those times, you, I, when you grew up, you still lived amongst your family. You still were part of that community together. You know, if you, if you think about people in your family, there'll be lots of different professions and careers and jobs and, and paths that people have taken. But oftentimes, uh, the children within a family would grow up to take on the family business, whether that was in carpentry, like Jesus did with his father, or whether it was agriculture. But there was something about, I'm going to continue the, the family business. That's shifted a lot now, hasn't it? The, the whole sense of you weren't really known by your first name. You were known by your family name. You were known by your dad's name. I would have been far more known as a Jones than as a Richard. And yet today we're much more known as our individual titles. And, and a lot of the, the shift away from family has, has led to, and, and I think we all recognize this, a growing sense of individualism. And with it, isolation and loneliness. But that whole sense of it's all about finding me. Search for the hero inside yourself. <laughs> but it's like, it's about me. It's pursuing my dreams. What, what, what journey am I on? Where is, where, where, am I, where is my life going? Who am I? But actually, God, God wants us to know who we are, but he also wants us to know who we are in the context of who we belong to. That's right. That's right. You know, when, when Peter writes, he says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a, a holy nation that we find our identity not just in who we are in Christ, but who we are as a household, not in, our, in, our, in the church family, but also in our own homes and families. And you know, historically, marriage defined the context in which a family came into being. Now, kind of marriage is this optional extra. There's a TV show on uh, CBeebies called Marrying Mum and Dad, and it's where children of the age, kind of the, the, the target audience of, of CBeebies, uh, CBBC rather, so probably like 10, 11, 12, uh, they get to arrange their parents' wedding. So their parents hand over responsibility to their kids to arrange their wedding day. And that's kind of like the norm now. But God wants us to recognize that this isn't about moving forward. Actually, God's purpose for marriage, God's plans for family, there is, uh, they, they, they were set in place here and he wants us to continue to live in the good of those things today. That these aren't traditional values. I'm not a 44-year-old dinosaur, but actually... The, the family values that we, he, God wants to see expressed in the church, the world needs now more than ever. Right. needs to see it. Yeah. The um, Center for Social Justice, headed up by Ian Duncan Smith, was a government-run uh, think tank that was there to explore why there's such significant breakdown in British society. And do you know what the main cause they found of the breakdown in society was the breakdown of family? the family unit. And I thought, I read this study, it was 2005 and, and onwards, and, and it's like finally where people are recognizing the importance of marriage yeah. between a, a, far, a man and a woman. That there's a recognition that children need a mum and they need a dad. That's right. yeah. Now I know that there are situations where that's not possible, that's not feasible, and it's not to demean single parent families at all. But that God's best is that married couples come together, stay together, and from that, they build a stable home, and children grow up in that environment. And more and more, you know, the church will become radical in expressing that. 
And they started to look at all sorts of different challenges of family breakdown. And, and uh, do you know there's more than one million children in the UK today whose fathers are completely absent? They have no meaningful contact at all with their fathers. Over a million children in this nation are growing up without fathers. And I read that and I'm, honestly, my heart broke. It's not to demean the role of a, of a mother, but children need, wherever possible, a father and a mother. And the, the problem is not only that are there not fathers, but there aren't male role models in society to help provide that for them. And that for us is where the church rises up and we can do something different. We can become parents to, to the nation. And our, as our households are blessed, we bless other households and that we bring back family into the nation that is so tragically missing. God loves family. If God didn't love family, he would never have taught us to pray our father. If God didn't love family, he would never have sent his son. In sending his son, God was saying this, I'm here to restore my family and I'm sending my son to bring my family back into order. He made it personal, didn't he? And that when we're saved and we're born again, God sends his spirit and Romans 8 describes him as the spirit of sonship who confirms in our own hearts that we cry out to God, Abba, Father. God's passion for families. God is all about family. God has a plan for your life, my life, but he has a a great plan for our families, for our households, to impact the nation, to impact Market Harbour, to impact our villages and our our streets. And um, as I was thinking about this, I was just kind of reading the last part of, of Joshua's charge to, to the nation of Israel. And um, I'm going to read it to you from the message version. The, the words will be up on the screen, so you can follow it there. Um, the reason I've done that is many people don't have a message Bible, message translation in with them. So this is so you can follow it on the screen, make sure I'm reading it right. Whenever God is written with capital G, capital O, capital D, that is the translation of the word Yahweh, which is God's covenant name that he revealed to Moses and to his people, and it's his covenant name to us as well, Jehovah Yahweh. And so this is uh, Joshua's charge to the nation. And just as you listen to this, think about how this might apply to you. If you're a, if you're a dad in the room, how this would apply to your family. If you're a mum in the room, to you and your family. If you're here and, and you're single, but there's family members that you represent, how it can apply to them. Think about our groups, our small groups and our communities. But this is God's heart for us. It says this, A long time later, after Yahweh had given Israel rest from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was a venerable old man. I'd like to be described as that when I, you know, probably am already, hopefully, but Joshua was was a venerable old man. Joshua called all Israel together, elders, chiefs, judges, and officers, and then he spoke to them. I'm an old man. I've lived a long time. You've seen everything that Yahweh has done to these nations because of you. He did it because he's Yahweh, your God. He fought for you. Stay alert. I've assigned to you by lots these nations that remain as an inheritance to your tribes. These, in addition to the nations, I've already cut down from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. Yahweh, your God, will drive them out of your path until there's nothing left of them. And you'll take over their land just as Yahweh, your God, promised you. Now, stay strong and steady. Obediently do everything written in the book of the revelation of Moses. Don't miss a detail. Don't get mixed up with the nations that are still around. 
Don't so much as speak the names of their gods or swear by them, and by all means don't worship or pray to them. Hold tight to Yahweh, your God, just as you've done up to now. Yahweh has driven out superpower nations before you. And up to now, no one has been able to stand up to you. Think of it. One of you, single-handedly, putting a thousand on the run because Yahweh is Yahweh, your God. Because he fights for you, just as he promised you. Now vigilantly guard your souls. Love Yahweh, your God. Because if you wander off and start taking up with these remaining nations still among you, intermarry, say, and have other dealings with them, know for certain that Yahweh, your God, will not get rid of those nations for you. They'll be nothing but trouble to you, horsewhips on your backs and sand in your eyes, until you're the ones who will be driven out of this good land that Yahweh, your God, has given you. As you can see, I'm about to go the way we all end up going. Know this with all your heart, with everything in you, that not one detail has failed of all the good things Yahweh, your God, promised you. It has all happened. Nothing's left undone, not so much as a word. But just as sure as everything good that Yahweh, your God, has promised has come true, so also Yahweh will bring to pass every bad thing until there's nothing left of you in this good land that Yahweh has given you. If you leave the path of the covenant of Yahweh your God that he commanded you, go off and serve and worship other gods, Yahweh's anger will blaze out against you. In no time at all, there'll be nothing left of you. No sign that you have ever been in this good land he gave you. And then he goes on and he begins to describe some of their history about how God had delivered them from Egypt and other great kings, the the two Amorite kings. And in verse 14, it picks up and he says, So now, fear Yahweh. Worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped on the far side of the river, the Euphrates, and in Egypt. You worship Yahweh. If you decide that's a bad, sorry, if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship Yahweh, then choose a god you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worshipped from the country beyond the river, or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land we're now living. As for me and my family, we'll worship Yahweh. The people answered, we'd never forsake Yahweh, never. We'd never leave Yahweh to worship other gods. Yahweh is our God. He brought up our ancestors from Egypt and from slave conditions. He did all those great signs while we watched. He's kept his eye on us all along the the roads we've traveled and among the nations we've passed through. Just for us, he drove out all the nations, Amorites and all who lived in the land. Count us in. We too are going to worship Yahweh He's our God. I love Joshua's passion. I love his zeal. I love his charge, his challenge to the people to say, you've followed God up to this point and God has never led you wrong. I'm about to go and I'm entrusting this to you that you too will serve him. And as for me and my house, we will worship Yahweh. And um, God's heart for us here and, and particularly, this isn't to exclude anybody, but I particularly want to talk to husbands and to fathers, that for us to be those who are the ones above all who are standing up and saying, as for me and my house, we'll worship God, that we take the lead in that. Or that if you're representative, if there isn't a husband present or somebody responsible for your family, but you know, as for me, I'm going to take a stand and say, as for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. When um, the first person in my family to get born again was my auntie, my dad's sister. And when she got saved, Jesus totally transformed her life. 
And within the first year of being saved, before anybody else in the family was saved, before her husband was saved and their kids, before my, my dad, her brother and her, her other brother, my dad's brother, got saved and all the families, she made this statement. As for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. She read Joshua 24, 15, and she made that her statement prophetically over our family. And guess what? We serve the Lord. We worship Yahweh. And I believe part of that was that prophetic declaration that she made over us. And you may not see it yet in all of your household. Some people might not be saved. Some people might have moved away from God. But today we can make a fresh stand and say, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to worship the Lord. And I'm so glad she declared that over us because the gospel spread like wildfire through my family. And everybody was dropping like pins. And so for us today, if you're representative of a household and a family, that these three things for me are really significant in seeing God's glory established and seen in our households and beyond. And we see this in Joshua's example. And the first thing I want to say that Joshua does is he acknowledges the Lord. He acknowledges the Lord. If you could put the next picture up, please. Acknowledge the Lord, okay? He looks very smug, doesn't he? He's wearing a vest, but, but I just thought that pointing up and saying, I'm acknowledging God. You know, in verse 3, Joshua acknowledges the Lord in going ahead of them and fighting for them. He says, you've seen everything that Yahweh has done to these nations because of you. Joshua was the captain. Joshua was the warrior. Joshua was the guy who led them into battle right from when Moses led them out of, of, the, of um, Egypt and all the way through. And yet it's Joshua who says, guys, it wasn't my... It wasn't my, my, my technical ability, my tactical brilliance. It was God who did it. God led us in victory. God drove out our enemies. He says he did it because he's Yahweh, your God. He fought for you. And that in everything, that in, in leading our families, that we acknowledge the Lord's work in going ahead of us and God fighting for us, God providing for us, that it wasn't just down to our brilliant parenting or my being a great dad but actually it's because we trust God and it's God that's done great things for us and he reminded them of their history and in in 24 uh, chapter 24 verses 1 all the way through to 13 that I didn't read out but he he describes how God had gone ahead of them and he reminds them how God had driven out the enemy before them and he says there's this statement that God says he said I sent the hornet ahead of you I sent terror ahead of you fear ahead of you and it drove out the two Amorite kings he's talking about Sion and he's talking about Og these two great kings that God drove out he says I did the work for you you didn't have to do a thing not so much as raise a finger I handed you a land for which you didn't work towns you didn't build and now you're living in them and eating from vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant and, and he's saying, all of the blessing that you've received, God led you in victory. And all of the things he prepared for you that you're enjoying now, God provided that for you in advance. Right. You know, it's so good. I'm so blessed that, that Becky shared that testimony. And I had to share that testimony of Suzanne today because we need to remind ourselves of the good things that God does. Yes. Remind ourselves of his power and his glory and his greatness. Because as we remember the things that he's done in the past, it prophetically says something about what he's going to do in the future. Yes, that's right. We're not just reminiscing and harping back to the good old days when God was moving in power. No, we're saying he did it then so he can do it now and he'll do it tomorrow. That the testimony of what God has done fuels us to go forward into the future. and We can speak prophetically into the future. I know this God. I've seen him do it then and I know he'll do it again. Prophetic word. 
that's rooted in the truth of God's nature and character and faithfulness because we've seen what he's done before and we declare over his, what he's going to do in the future. And that for us, therefore, it's to acknowledge God in everyday life. To acknowledge him every day. To acknowledge it, God on a Wednesday at 4.38 p.m. That he's still God, that he's still moving in our lives, that we don't wait to Sunday, we don't wait to, to life group, but we just constantly acknowledging what God is doing. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. And my dad got saved when I was six months old and, and my, well, both my parents sorry, got saved when I was six months old. But particularly talking about my father, the example that he set to me and the example that my parents set in our home was they acknowledged God in everything. So that if sickness ever tried to rear its ugly head in our home, the first response was, we're going to pray. We're going to see what the word says. We're going to pray about this. Not the first protocol, paracetamol and calpol and then, then ibuprofen and those things aren't working. And then the doctor and that didn't really work. Oh, okay, let's pray. <laughs> but actually the first thing is, Lord, and we're acknowledging you first and foremost. And we bring those things to him. That when there's fears at night, and for us with the children, particularly one, one of the children in particular has struggled with, with being afraid of the dark at night. And the first thing that we do is we pray with them. Before we do a nightlight or before we do anything else, it's, we're going to pray that God, you know, God's peace. And we've seen as that's gone on time and time again, a shifting away from that. Some of it will be because he's growing up, but some of it, I believe, is because of our prayers in those times. That we've acknowledged the Lord. That when needs arise, that we do all that we can, yes, but also then we trust God and we bring God into it. I remember when, when I, was, uh, I was five, so my dad and mum had been saved about four years. They went to Ealing Bible College in South London. And um, they literally gave up everything to go for three years to, for my dad to study. And my mum got some work cleaning and my dad picked up some landscape gardening work here and there. But it really was, there was no real, it was, it was kind of, you know, the classic living by faith. There was no regular income. We didn't know where it was all going to come from, but they totally believed that's where God wanted us to be. And I, I didn't know the severity of this, but when I was probably about six or seven years old, there was one uh, Friday in particular where um, there was no money and no food in the house. And the next time that we were going to get any money was Monday. And so Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, there was no means of any provision whatsoever. Now, I was probably about seven years old, maybe six, seven years old. And I, don't, I didn't understand the gravity of it, but my parents uh, got me and my sister, Catherine, she's about a year younger than me, and we just prayed together that God would provide for us. They didn't talk about, you're not going to be able to eat tomorrow, son, you know, start praying. <laughs> there was a protection in it and a wisdom, but, but we just prayed together. And as we finished praying, my dad just felt, I'm going to go and check my coats. So he put his hand into the pocket of one of the coats and he felt a piece of paper and, and he said, I thought it was a receipt. That's how much faith he had. <laughs> he said, I thought it was a receipt. And he pulled it out and it was a five pound note. Now a five pound note in 1982, okay, I'm not just talking about a meal deal in boots and maybe a crunchy. Um, it went a lot further and it provided everything that we needed that weekend. And, and I remember that story what God did then for what I believe he can do for us today, for you today, for, for our family today, that God is our provider. And, and it's all about, oh, wasn't that lucky that we found a five pound note in the coat? Oh, must have just left it there from another time. No, God's provided for us. However it got there, however, whatever reason it's there, we believe it's God who did it. We're acknowledging him. I'd much rather get it wrong to be in faith for things that God hasn't done than to miss the things that God has done because I've doubted him. 
Does that make sense? And I get to heaven and I'm standing before God and I'm looking back at the history of things that God has done. Oh, I gave you praise for that, Lord. And it was just luck. I don't think that's going to happen. God provides in every way, in every stage. That we acknowledge him. That when good things happen, we acknowledge him. When things are tough, that we go to him. That we turn our cares into prayers and our hoorays into praise. Cares into prayers, hoorays into praise. We acknowledge the Lord. And as we do, we begin to set up for ourselves this line of the things that God has done for us. And time and again, to encourage our children to, to, to not just hear our prayers, but for them to pray. Because actually, sometimes our kids have got way more faith than we have. <laughs> and that simple faith is what's needed in that, in that moment. Um, one of our children lost one of their braces for their teeth. And the last child that did that cost us 80 pounds to replace it. So we were, I was driving to the orthodontist with this child on Tuesday or Wednesday. Unbeknown to me, the child was praying that everything would work out and that it wouldn't cost any money. I hadn't even gone there with that prayer. I was just prepared. I was just trying to work out where it was going to come from. And as we sat down and I explained what had happened to the dental nurse, the, she went back out, had a chat with the orthodontist. The orthodontist came in and she said, well... I've heard that um, this child has just started this, this stage of school and obviously a lot going on, so we won't charge you for this one on this occasion. You can have it for free. And on the way out, he said, that's because I prayed. It's like, yeah, absolutely, hallelujah. And so we just set that up, that constantly we're acknowledging the Lord. Cares into prayers, are raising to praise. The second thing is setting boundaries. Um, this is a PG parental guidance warning, but this one is exposure to silliness, strange, annoying sounds, and the abundance of catchy songs played throughout the movie may cause insanity. So it's actually a warning for parents. <laughs> but, you know, there's this significant aspect of God setting boundaries. God set very clear boundaries for his people, didn't he? Yeah. He said the Jordan on the east and the great sea, the Mediterranean on the west, and this strip of land, and here's where you're to go in the south, and here's where you're to go in the north, and this whole area I want you to fill, and I want you to take it all. It's going to be rich and beautiful and bountiful and fruitful, and you're going to love living there. And, and he sort of set this wonder, these wonderful boundaries for them that were so much for their benefit. And, and Joshua says this, stay alert. I've assigned to you by lot these nations that remain as an inheritance to your tribes. This is God speaking through Joshua. These, in addition to the nations, I've already cut down from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. Verse 7 says, don't get mixed up with the nations that are still around. Don't so much as speak, do you remember this? Don't so much as speak the names of their gods or swear by them. Yeah. What does God say? They'll be like horsewhips to your back and sand in your eyes if you start to get involved with them in a way that will make you impure. He's setting boundaries. And in Joshua 1, God gives very clear boundaries for Joshua. And then by lot, they start to draw lots and, and they get, they get given territories. And then when we get to Acts 1, when uh, Judas is being replaced by a disciple, how do they decide who they're going to choose? They draw lots, Matthias and Barsabbas. And Matthias becomes the new replacement disciple, the shiny new one. And then what happens straight after that, at the end of Acts 1, we get Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes. And no longer do we need lots. We just need him lots. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us to know God's will. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts and, and brings into our hearts God's will and God's heart and God's desires and God's boundaries. And he begins to affirm that with us. Yes, that's right. And I just think as a father, for me, I know that part of my responsibility is to set boundaries. 
And time and again, I think, Lord, I need your help with this. Sometimes I think I need other people's help with this. People who've gone ahead of me, who have seen their children grow, and I've seen them grow in the Lord, and I'm going to ask them for advice and counsel because I believe they're men and women of the Spirit. You know, can draw on the Holy Spirit through other believers as well as directly through the Holy Spirit, as well as through the Word of God. But it's about ensuring God's lines for securing good lives with the wisdom of God. For me, one of the things that my dad, a boundary that my my parents clearly set for me and it was set within the church was that I wasn't to date a non-Christian. And I remember when I was 14, 15, there was this one girl in particular that I just really liked. Really, really liked her. And, And... she actually liked me as well. That was the amazing thing. So we had this thing, and, and, I, and, and I would talk to my dad about it. And you know what? My dad actually was wonderfully sympathetic. He was like, I understand this is difficult. I understand you really like this girl, but this is for your benefit, that you don't date with her, that you don't go out with her. And that we had to walk that out, and there were some things I didn't get entirely right, but the vast majority of it, I listened to what they said, even though I didn't really like it. But that consistent message and that counsel helped me to make a good choice at that time that I believe has helped me now. I'm so glad that I've married a born-again, spirit-filled woman of God. She makes me look good. (laughs) We have wonderful children as a result. And and and, and part of that is because the boundaries were set for me. And I didn't particularly like them at the time, but I look back now and I'm really glad. Other boundaries were set for me. In 1985, the big blockbuster movie of 1985 was the Care Bears movie. Okay? Does anybody remember the Care Bears movie? Does anybody remember the Care Bears? I want to be a Care Bear. Or things will be so great when I'm a Care Bear. That's what we're dreaming of. We'll make a great pair. We'll stick together through and through like glue. Just want to be a Care Bear like you. Just want to be a Care Bear. Anyway, so the Care Bears movie came out. And my parents had heard that this hard-hitting cartoon had witchcraft in it. And so they said that we couldn't go. So my sister and I were, were, were not allowed to go and see the Care Bears at Merthyr Cinema, which was released two, hour, two years after the original release date, Merthyr Cinema. But, and um, and I, we look back now and we talk about it, and my parents laugh that they were so strict on something that actually now they wouldn't have been so strict on. But at the time, they think, yeah, we probably were a bit unnecessarily strict on that. But we look back and laugh because I, I, I'm, I'm glad that my parents had enough care for me to set boundaries for me. And there are lots of things I look back on and certain things that they insisted that I wear or I wasn't allowed to buy because, you know, my legs might get wet. If I was going to get a really nice Nike jacket, I had to get waterproof leggings to wear to school. I mean, yes, I'd be dry, but I'd be really severely beaten up. (laughs) And um, we look back now at it and we laugh. But but as I was thinking about the things, the boundaries they set in place for me, and my dad in particular, it's not just the what the boundaries that he set. But but for me as well, it was the why and the how that he set those boundaries. Not just the what. You can can point to the word, but but then it's the why. Why is that important? And and to talk, particularly as our children get older, to talk with them about the, not just the what, but the why, and then the how. You know, the the graciousness of how he raised those things with me, I still remember now. And and it's hard to kick against someone when you know they're not, they're, they're, they're dealing with you with grace. And, and I remember thinking, looking back, and I, and I was thinking about Moses in the wilderness. And uh, in Numbers 20, he's told to get water from the rock. And what does, he, what does God say to Moses to get water from the rock? This is the second time it's going to happen. Moses, God says to Moses, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? You rebels! Water gushes out. And what does God say? Moses, you've blown it. You're not going to get into the land. 
And you think, wow, that's so harsh on Moses. He'd done so well. He must have been so frustrated. They were such hard work, constantly moaning and grumbling. No wonder he kind of lost it. But why was God so strong with Moses? Is because Moses represented God to the people. Right. And he was misrepresenting God's heart. And in it all, in, in being a, a father particularly, I believe God wants us not only to, 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 to share the what, but to have a, an understanding of the why and the, the how. That we come with truth, but we come with grace, just as Jesus came. So we ensure God's lines for securing good lives. Acknowledge the Lord, cares into prayers, are raised into praise. Set boundaries, ensuring God's lines for securing good lives. And the last thing is this I want to say is raising expectations raise expectations next slide I love this picture <laughs> raise expectations now Joshua gave responsibility over to the next generation he said I he recognized it he acknowledged it I'm, I'm getting old I'm going the way that everybody goes but I want you to now carry on I'm, I've got expectations for you guys. I'm raising your expectations about not only what God has done, but what he's going to do and what you're going to do in serving him. And I'm setting an example. I'm going to model it, but I also now am saying, now it's over to you. And part of our role as parents and, and those who are heads of households is to see those who are growing up to come into everything that God's got for them. That we serve our, God's purposes in our generation, but we also invest so that they can serve God in their generation. And he says to them, to stay strong and steady, obediently do everything written in the book of the revelation of Moses. Don't miss a detail. What's he saying? Know the word and follow it. And then he says, hold tight to God, your God, just as you've done up till now. What's he saying? He's saying, cling to God. Keep your eyes on him. Keep trusting him. Keep looking to him. Keep acknowledging him. And then he says, now vigilantly guard your souls. Love Yahweh, your God. To have that loving relationship with him. And I look back to my childhood and I, and I know that there are certain things that I do now because my father set the example for me as I grew up watching him. Yeah. My dad worked as a driving instructor. He worked full time, Monday to Friday, eight till eight. Finished earlier on a Wednesday because it was prayer meeting. So he, although he was self-employed, he finished an hour earlier so he could be at prayer. On a Sunday, he'd work on a Saturday morning till midday. And then Sunday, we were at church. And, and unless we were somewhere else, we went to church. That's the example he set. If, if, we were, um, if, if there was a prayer meeting, we were at prayer meeting. If there was a meeting to, and the church were gathering, we were there. We, he was glad when they said to him, let's go to the house of the Lord. Right. And when I was 13, 14, 15 and old enough to go with him to prayer meetings, morning ones, evening ones, I'd go with him. And, and so he set that example for me. The only holiday my dad ever had was when we went to Bible week. Because it cost him to be there. And when he, when he was there, he was serving. And he paid to be there. And that was his week off where he wasn't earning as a driving instructor. But the, the apostles had called us together. We're going to meet. So for me, that was the example that, that was set for me. And, and I, I've sort of thought, well, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be like that. Yeah. <laughs> because I've not only seen him do that, but I've also seen the benefit of what that's meant for him, for my mum, for us as a family. And I want that for me, for my wife, for, my, for our family. Yeah. And you know what? Your church needs you. Yeah. Your church family needs you. Whenever the church gathers, it's the family gathering. And if you're missing, we're missing out. And not only did he set the example, not only did he set the pace, but he created space for grace. Set the pace, create space for grace. So he would do this. He would say, when I was 13, 14, what's God saying? We're going to the meeting. What, what do you believe you need to say 
from the word or is there something that you can pray or is there a, a picture that God has given you or a word has God given you for the church? And it was like, ooh. <laughs> but it was good for me because I, I believed, okay, I actually have something to contribute. I might be. You could be here today. You could be 12, 13, 14. You have something to bring to the church family. Not just on a Sunday, but anytime. That um, from a very young age, as soon as we were given money of our own, we were to tithe it. So I learned tithing when I was eight years old, nine years old. And I'm so glad I learned it then because it's a lot easier to do it all the way through than to guess pick it up when you're older. I appreciate the pressure and the, the challenge of that. But it was like, whatever, whatever money I've got, 10% of it belongs to the Lord. doesn't matter how old I am. It's still his. <laughs> to reach out to friends, to share faith with, with those around me, to represent God in my school. And, 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 and the wonderful thing was, he wasn't telling me to do something that he wasn't doing himself. That integrity of saying, I'm seeing you doing it and, and I want to be like you. And I'm not doing these things just to get in your good books. I, know he, I knew he loved me anyway. There were things I did. I look back and I know I went against his counsel, my mum's counsel. I went off, the, off the, the track for a little while. My parents never changed in their love towards me, their care towards me. They were consistent. They were faithful. They were good. They brought truth, but there was a grace with it. And I look back now and I'm so glad that that relationship wasn't dependent on my performance as a Christian boy or a, Christ, or a Christian man, but actually they loved me anyway. But I also saw the example that they set. And I, that, well, the one thing that perseveres for me is I just want to be like that. And I believe when people saw Joshua, they were like that. They thought, here's a man we followed for 25, 30 years. He's led us into great victories. We're now very blessed. And he's standing up before the people and he's saying this, guys, as for me and my house, we're going to worship Yahweh. We're going to serve him. And all the people say, we're with you. We recognize God. We acknowledge him. We recognize the boundaries that he set for us. And we want to be like you. We want to follow God like you. Our expectations have been raised. The, the last thing, the last image is this picture that was up at the beginning. If you just put the next slide up. Oh, sorry. That's for me, my house was built. But there's this, there's this picture of people building house, a house. And I believe not only does God want our households to be whole, our whole households to be whole, but he wants us also to bring wholeness to other households and other families. Isaiah 58 says that you'll be rebuilders of ancient ruins and restorers of homes. I love that picture, don't you? Of rebuilding and restoring. And God's heart for us today is to do that. And, and I would just like, if, if you feel, if you could really just close your eyes for a moment, I just want to do one thing in closing. And um, I don't want anybody to respond out of any sense of duty or because anybody else is doing it or not doing it. I, please, please understand this. I... This is just between you and God, really, and I'm just here to pray and to recognize something on, on our behalf. But if you're here today and you feel I am, in, to all intents and purposes, because of my relationship with God, I'm the head of my household, and, and I, want my, I want to represent my household and lead it in a way that, that honors the Lord. And whether you feel like you've done a good job of that up till now or not, I kind of, in some ways, I'm not interested in. It's about from this point, as for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord, we'll serve the Lord, and I'm going to lead in that. If you feel that, and you, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray that God will enable us in a fresh way, that he'll give us fresh faith, fresh grace, fresh zeal, and fresh wisdom. Those are four things, as I was praying for this morning, I believe God wants to impart. Fresh faith, 
where it's needed, fresh grace where it's needed, fresh zeal for the Lord, and a fresh wisdom where it's needed as well in, in how we lead our homes well. If, if you want to stand in response to that now as I pray, that you would like the Holy Spirit to just minister to you those things, would you just stand with me? I'm standing because I, I recognize the need for it. But please don't do this because anybody else is. This is just between you and God. But I, I, just, I just believe in standing, a few things are happening. Firstly, you're recognizing that sense of responsibility, and that's a good thing, that God wants you to be the, the man or the woman that, of God that's going to lead in your home, in your household. And um, you're recognizing that, that that responsibility is yours, but that's not to be a burden. That in recognizing that responsibility, then you're saying, and Lord, I need you. I'm going to rely on you. And Holy Spirit, I'm standing because I need everything that you have to enable me to do the best possible job of, of helping me and my family serve you. So Lord, I just thank you for each person that's standing. I thank you for every person in this room, Lord, whether they're standing or sitting. But Lord, I just pray that you would, right now, by your spirit, Lord, that you would minister to, particularly to each head of every household, that you would provide for them everything that they need, Lord, for their homes, their households to be whole, to be whole in every way, Lord, that in their homes there will be peace, that in their homes there will be health, in their homes, there will be more than enough, Lord. Enough for them and enough to give to others. That in their homes, Lord, there'd be security and unity, Lord. That in their homes, Lord, there'd be grace and your presence and your life, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for each person, and I include myself in this prayer. Lord, would you give us fresh faith? Fresh faith in who Jesus is. In Jesus, your lordship and your authority and your kingship as we've been declaring it and recognize it in our worship this morning. Let there be fresh faith in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus for us and our homes. Lord, I pray, let there be fresh grace. Lord, that there would just, in everything that we do, in how we care and how we lead, that you'd just, that Lord, we would rely completely on your grace for us. Lord, I pray for a fresh passion for you, for prayer and for your word. And Lord, to know you, to really know you, Lord. So that as we follow you, Lord, others can follow us. And Lord, I just pray that you would minister to each person right now fresh wisdom. That where wisdom is needed, that you would just provide it, Lord, in bucket loads. That, Lord, that more than enough, Lord, to not just to lead our own families well, but, Lord, that we would overflow into other families, into our neighbors, into our colleagues, into our, our fellow family members, Lord but that, Lord, that your kingdom would come in us, in our homes, but, Lord, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in this town of Market Harbor. Let your kingdom come. And, Lord, may it come household by household, whole household by whole household, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to pray for any unsaved spouses right now. Lord, that if there are people here and their, their spouse is not yet born again, Lord, we just ask that you would open their eyes, open their ears open their hearts, Lord, to the gospel and that they would come to you, Jesus, repentant, holy, trusting in you and that, Lord, whole households will be saved in, in Jesus' name. Just commend ourselves to you right now, Lord. And we just say we want to honor you in everything that we do. Bless each person, Lord. Bless all those out on children's work. Bless our families and our children as well. And Lord, as we talk together and encourage one another now, I just pray let your blessing be known in this place. May your anointing rest richly among us, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.